I will tell you this, at three o'clock in the morning, I was woken with this start and it was like a horrible dream, but I couldn't remember what it was. It was like one of those mindless dreams, like you forgot your homework or you're walking around in your underwear at school or something, but I couldn't shake it. And I know now that he stopped by to, to touch base on his way at the other side. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience working with thousands of couples for nearly 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And so we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guest, Joe McQuillan, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here. Maybe we can start out by you introducing yourself, but telling you, you know, our audience a little bit about you. How old are you? What do you do for a living? I'm 63 years old. I'm a mortgage broker. I'd been a car dealer for you know 25 years before that. Been a mortgage broker for the last dozen years. Been married 28 years to the same same wonderful gal. Who doesn't realize how far I had punted my coverage when she said yes? And you know, and a published author at this point. So Yes, you are a published author. The book is called My Search for Christopher on the Other Side. Correct. That's awesome. When did you publish this book? Just over a year ago. It came out in Thanksgiving of of last year. So it's been just over a year and the feedback has been amazing. And and the the reason for, for, for writing it has become abundantly clear and it changed kind of my path of, of my life. And that's why we're here is to tell the story. Yes. So can you start with, how did you meet your wife? I met my wife in the city of Chicago. She was a, a friend of a, of a gal I was dating. And we were all in this this group in, in kind of the Lincoln Park area. And first time I saw her, I was smitten with her. And I had to figure out how to end this one relationship before I could start the other one and kind of shoot the dice. And and I remember uh, we had been friends for a bit. And we went to a, went out to, to dinner at a place called Jim and Johnny's, which is a great Italian restaurant that was on Chicago and Troop. And it's, it's gone. But uh, John Tarantino opened up another restaurant in Lincoln Park. She thought it was just two pals having dinner. And then she looked at it halfway through and she said, wait a minute, is this a date? I said, it sure is for me. You know, <laughs> kind of hoping that's for you. Know. And that was it. She took my breath away immediately and it, and it hasn't changed. What was it about her that you fell in love with? You know what? She, I, I, seriously, I mean, she had purple nap nap that she'd wear uh, coveralls. She was just vibrant and, and, and full of life. And she didn't buy into my uh, my charm. You know, she, uh, <laughs> I actually had to be myself if I was going to win her over. So uh, I was lucky enough to do that. She was immune to your wiles. Yeah, right? she was. <laughs> Amazing, wasn't it? I know. And you knew pretty quick. I knew the minute, minute I saw her. Minute, as a matter of fact, I 
per- purposely did not pursue her immediately because I knew that my, you know, wild colonial boy days would be over mm-hmm. once, you know, her and I connected at all. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I haven't looked at another woman since then. Were you raised any religion? Yeah, yeah. We were raised, I'm the youngest of 10 kids, uh, Irish Catholic. You know, Union, Democrat, Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, could have been a sitcom. No you know? stereotype. None there. <laughs> None there. So I was, but far from devout. You know, I. You know, everybody was was. My mom was a devout Catholic, and we would have May altars, and and I mean, I still occasionally pray a rosary, and 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 you know, for me, religion, Catholicism is 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 like a smorgasbord. I take what I want and I leave the rest. I have a great relationship with God. Him and I are are, are pretty cool. And I'll later on in the podcast tell you there was uh, in the broadcast is you know not long after I had lost my 16 year old or, or my 21 year old in, in January of 2016, God kind of presented something to me and it and it changed my relationship with Him too. So how old were you guys when you got married? I was 34 and she was 28. And how did you ask her? It was great. You know, I was, thank you, because this is going to make me look like a hero. I actually, she was, <laughs> she was in Wisconsin at her brother's uh, lake house in, in Manaqua for the weekend. So it gave me time to put some stuff together. And I told her I'd pick her up. She was living across the street at McClurg Court. And I said, I'll pick you up and we'll go get some dinner when she got back on a Sunday, late Sunday afternoon. But I picked, my, picked her up one of those horse drawn Hanson cabs. And, and they weren't, and I had a route I wanted the guy to take and they weren't allowed to go off, you know, the inner drive there for a little coercion with dollars. You know, he, he, <laughs> he found it in his heart and, and we went there and when we were, we were going by the lake, I, I got on my knee in, in the cab and asked her to marry me with a ring. That is awesome. That's yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Very romantic. Yeah. You know what? I, I remember I I had gone out the, earlier that day to see her mom and, and and father who had been divorced and he's crossed over now and she's still with us and a wonderful gal. We saw him this weekend and I went and saw Warren, who's a tad verbose, even on the other side when he comes through, he's a tad verbose. And so I was stuck there for a while. And at the end of the uh, strong-willed guy and at the end of the conversation, he said, and so now here you sit asking my permission to marry my daughter. And I said, Warren... I'm 34 years old. I've been, you know, I've been on my own a long time. I'm asking your blessing. I don't ask anybody's permission for anything, <laughs> but he gave it. And so we, uh, we got married a year later. Nice. That is wonderful. And how many children do you have? We have three. Mm-hmm. We have three. We have my, my, my son, Christopher, who'd be 25, who's on the other side, crossed over. You know, Caroline is 23 and she graduated from Marquette with a teaching degree and she's taking classes now. Stay, even though she has an apartment in, in 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 Milwaukee, because she 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 was doing teaching and and substitute teaching and and, and student teaching in the public schools, and they've offered her a position, a full time substitute position, until in August when she leaves for Prague to teach English in Prague for a year. Wow, that's a great. Experience. She's an adventurous gal. Yeah. That one, yeah. And my youngest Will, who's uh, twenty years old, Will had a semester Boulder, didn't work out. Came home and got him a job selling cars with a buddy of mine. And I just sent him out to uh, Arizona to work uh, a month and a half and split spring training for a friend of mine who runs uh, runs spring training for Surprise Arizona. And cool. he's out there now. And not a bad job, right? No, not a bad yeah, job. Yeah. Good weather, too. <laughs> yeah, a lot better than here. Um, so I, actually, next uh, next Thursday, I'm flying out there for about five days and 
What was it like for you to adjust to becoming a dad? And how would you describe how you are as a father and what, what it was like in your home when your kids were young? Greatest job in the world. Greatest job. Now, I worked all the time, you know, and I saw and I learned that from my old man, who was a railroader who wrote, raised 10 kids. Five were actually cousins that got brought into the family because of a, a car accident. And nothing was said. Nothing was legal. They just took them in and said, our kids, and that's it. That's how they raised them. They had oh. the same last name. So, And I didn't know that there was, this even happened. I was born a month after the car accident until uh, I was in fifth grade. And my sister, who was a year older than me, didn't know until she was graduating from uh, Mount Mercy High School. They were cousins, not, not brothers and sisters. But you know, they're, they're brothers and sisters as far as me and, and the whole world feels and, and themselves. I got to tell you, I, there was no greater job in the world. My dad was a wonderful dad. You know, I think it, it's easy for me to envision a loving, heavenly father because I had a good dad, you know. Worked his butt off, raised 10 kids, coached baseball. He had a flawed guy like we all are, you know. But I, I always knew I was loved. So I always had this confidence that even if my behavior wasn't acceptable, I knew that I was loved. And, and I'd been, I've been sober since 28 years old. I was wild, man. And so I've been sober 34 years now. You know, I, I think a big part of my story is the compulsion to drink was lifted by a, a source outside of myself. So I, that's when I started really believing in a personal relationship with a, with a higher power or God. I'm, I'm comfortable with that term. What made you decide to become sober? I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, it wasn't one big event. There were plenty, high speed pursuits, you know, fights, all, all of them, you know. One day I just had enough of, of enough and uh, started getting sober and stopped drinking. But my favorite sister, she crossed over just over a year ago. She was my son Christopher's godmother. And single woman, wonderful gal, got married right out of high school. Her husband turned out to be a bum. She She went and got her undergraduate degree raised the kids by herself, got her master's MBA at Wharton, right? Ran a, a, a big health plan in, in D.C. I'm just an impressive gal and, and a big source of love for me and strength. And I was living in D.C. And, and stopped drinking for a little bit, went back to it. And she said, you know, if you decide that you wanted to drink, you know, stay away from me and my kids. She said, you know, I've, I've already buried one brother. I'm not going to watch you die. Mm. And it was the first time, being the youngest of 10 kids and spoiled and pampered and baby, it was the first time anybody held me accountable. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that was my first steps on the journey to get sober. You know, I, it was important. I didn't want, I was tired of disappointing everybody. And I could have had t-shirts made up and handed out that said, I will disappoint you, you know, because <laughs> I, I did, you know. Why do you think you did? Why'd you go that down that path? You know, I, genetics, you mm -hmm. know, I, I don't think it was a choice I made. You know, it, you know, it, I'm not a victim. God forbid. You know, I never took a punch that I didn't have coming. And, and I took a few. I think genetically I was predisposed. Addiction and, ran in the yeah, family. Oh. Yeah. And typical Irish Catholic. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know any better. You know, at the time, it, it, it kind of was every party had alcohol. We, we, had, we had a refrigerator in the basement that had hockey pucks in the freezer and just beer in the refrigerator. And, and I didn't know everybody didn't have a beer fridge, right? You know, <laughs> so it's just how we were raised. And every celebration was surrounded alcohol, every, every devastation, every, every death, you know, it, it was alcohol. So, it, but where other people could turn it off, you know, I didn't have an off button, 
you know, mm-hmm. so I mm-hmm. would just go. And, uh, you know, I was given this opportunity. It was a million dollar shot at sobriety. And my life has been amazingly different. You know, it's funny, about 15, 18 years ago, probably 20 years ago, one of my nieces was getting married in Boston. And she said, Uncle Joey, will you say grace for us? And I thought, wow, that's really nice. And I stood up in this, you know, it was uh, the World Trade Center of Boston, a beautiful look overlooking the the you know the bay and 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 I said you know I'm really flattered that Kathy would ask me to say grace. I said you know here I am. They asked me to say a prayer when in the old days you just prayed I didn't show up at weddings. You know, <laughs> so, you know. So it was I was given this shot and I ran with it. You know, and it's still part of my life. I mean, 34 years later, I still go to AA meetings and I still carry the message. You know, so I think this is a really important message for people out there and especially the ones that feel that this is something in me, it's genetic, I can't help that it happens. And you're not bad. But I can do something about it. Right. You're not yeah. bad. And mm-hmm. you got to be ready when you're ready. You know, I wasn't ready at 25, even though my life was kind of a mess at 25. Mm-hmm. But at 28, for some reason, I was ready. And you went the AA route? I did. I did. No, I tell you what, anybody gets a shot, you know, mm-hmm. go to treatment. Yeah, you know, it just it, regardless it, of what it is, right? right and it, whatever, whatever your your malady is, it just gets you on the on the path, mm-hmm. right? I didn't, you know, I, I didn't. I left the job and had moved here and and to get sober, and and AA filled that gap and still does mm-hmm. spiritually for me. Is that one of the reasons you didn't get married until thirty four? Oh yeah, I had nothing to offer anybody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was a I was a fun first date. You know. But it wasn't, it kind of wears off kind of quickly, yeah. you know, you know, so I, yeah, I knew that I had nothing, you know, it's, it's, you, can, you, can, you can't serve two masters, right? Right. And when you're an alcoholic, you're, you're, all you want to do is keep that buzz going. But I tell you this, I wouldn't trade the first, I, I'm willing to trade the first half of my life for the second. I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change one incident, one fear, you know, blow up, one anything, because it got me where I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like there was a lot of grief also, you know, in your family growing up. You didn't talk about grief. You know, you, you right. drank yourself through that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that seriously. That's, we were Irish. We were stoic. That's how we handled it. You know, I remember my dad referring to his mom dying of melancholy. You know, wow. it's like, wow, how do you die of melancholy? You know, yeah. yeah. quite often you take your life, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and I know his dad took his life and, and I wrote a book and I, and I have a chapter that's, that's talks about that, mm-hmm. you know? So we, we didn't, you know, who was it? Daniel Pat Moynihan said to be Irish is to know that in the end, the world will break your heart, you know? So I think we just accepted that, that, that life was this. It was full of joy and mirth and this Eugene O'Neill tragedy that would, you know, kind of be a, a thread through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot of death. This is in big families and tragedies and you didn't talk about it. You just you just packed up and moved on. That, that's a very interesting mm-hmm. point. You know, I think that cultural influence is really big. We have, you know, several clients who are actually from you know, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's very prevalent over there too. Anything negative that happened, any death that happened, you just kind of moved on and you didn't really process it at all. And you never talked about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and remember, that's another generation. You know, my parents have been gone for quite a while, but they came from a time that you didn't talk about it. Yeah. You know, if there was a falling out in the family, you didn't talk about it. And as we know now, secrets keep us sick, mm-hmm. you know, but I know that 
my parents did the best they could with the tools that they were given at that point, right? Mm -hmm. And so as flawed as I am, I've done the best I can with the tools that I've been given, you know? In what way were you a different dad than your dad? I was sober. My dad was a wonderful man, but he was an alcoholic. He never drank in bars, never missed a day's work. But, you know, I think he, I think he self-medicated through alcoholism. I think he had a hard life. He worked very hard. And my dad was a wonderful guy, but there's some limitations. And, and I, and I knew I was loved, but I, I learned a lot from him. And one is a work ethic and another is to express love. Been kind of blessed to being a bit of a tough guy, you know, or, you know, you know, you know I finally, Sunday was, I think I finally hung up. I'm finally done playing hockey. You know, I, I took an elbow injury and I'm thinking, I'm done. You know, I'm 63. I, um, I'm on my last dog and my last pair of skates, you know. So, but but I did learn a tenderness. And my old man's nickname on the railroad was Iron Joe. But my old man couldn't do a toast without tearing up. Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing right now. Yeah. You know, so I learned that it was okay that tough guys cry. And it's mm -hmm. okay. I think I, like him, I worked too much. And I felt it was my responsibility to give the kids everything they could. And like him, when I was with those kids, I was, I, you know, they were the most important things in the world to me. You were present. I was okay. present. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Christopher? I do. Yes. There's nothing I like talking about more than Christopher. Thank you. Can you take us back to that day? Yeah. Can we start there? You know what? Christopher was my oldest. We could just be together. We, we connected. You know, we could be in a room and not even talk and just know we loved each other. And he knew I got him. He wasn't a good student. Neither was I. Somehow things work out with a little help and hard work, right? And and he knew that my love was never in question and Sally's love was never in question. So he was home from northern Illinois where he was probably going to bomb out of college pretty soon. And it was Christmas of 2015. And we had this wonderful Christmas. We It was, I don't know, went over the top. You know, just the kids together and and it was like looking at one of the old Christmases my old man used to put together, you know. And I just, I knew that was special. You know, there's a, there's a line from uh, The River Runs Through It that says, and I knew at that moment that life is an art and this moment could not last. But that was one of those mm -hmm. moments, right? That mm -hmm. it was perfect. And, and I, let me tell you a little bit about Christopher. The year before we had gone on a cruise, right before Christmas, we all wanted to be home before Christmas. And on Christmas night, so we'd gotten home early Christmas Eve, I made some food. Grocery stores are closed, so I had everything ready. I had a roast that I was cooking. And he came up to me Christmas night and said, Dad, I'm going back to the fraternity house. I said, why? And he said, there's a, there's a kid that couldn't get home, and he's alone. He said, can you put a plate together? So we did. We ran to Walgreens and got a half-price you know, <laughs> gift of cologne set or something, so wrapped it up. And part of me wondered, you know, is this kid hustling me? Has he got a pretty co-ed on there, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the following year at his wake, the, <laughs> excuse me, that kid came up to me and said, you know, Mr. McHugh, I was the guy Chris came home for. So that was the kind of guy Chris was, you know, wild, fancy free, but God kind, gave a good heart. Kind and caring. Kind. So that Christmas, they'd all gone out. We were all relieved. They made it home New Year's on one piece. And, and it's funny, I'm sitting in a meeting with a bunch of other dads like, you get word yet? Your kid home is your kid home. And, you know, and so he'd made it. Everything was good. And then they decided on the last day, which was Sunday, Saturday night, they were going up to a beach house in, in Lake Beulah, Wisconsin. There was a dozen of them. 
And, it, and then they were all going to come home Sunday and then go back to school the following couple of days. So it was their last hurrah, right? Yeah. And, and Sally and I were a little bit relieved that they weren't going to be running around the city of Chicago, which is dangerous, you know, especially if you've been, you know, having a couple of uh, cocktails. So they went up there and they went to a local pub and shot pool and, and did what kids did. And there was a dozen, like I said, and kicked up their heels, went back to the beach house where the party continued. They were all spending the night. Nobody was driving. Three of them went outside, walked by an unlocked boathouse or four of them jumped in a three-man canoe with layered clothing and Timberland boots and too much to drink and paddled out and all four of them drowned that day. None of them made it back. I got a call the next morning and I'm waiting for him to come home to watch the Bills game. I grew up in Buffalo. We watched, he was a huge Bills fan. We'd watch games together when he was in town. And when not, I had, he was able to use the direct TV to get at the frat house and they all watched. They had Bills flag fly. Now those prize hadn't heard from him. Texting him, where are you, buddy? Did you have a feeling? No. Sally did. I will tell you this. At three o'clock in the morning, I was woken with this start. And it was like a horrible dream, but I couldn't remember what it was. It was like one of those mindless dreams, like you forgot your homework or you were walking around in your underwear at school or something. But I couldn't shake it. And I know now that he stopped by to, to touch base on his way at the other side. So I did not. And mm-hmm. then I get a call from his friend who said, Mr. McHugh, you know, four of the boys are missing. So, uh, you know, grabbed the dog, grabbed, put on some boots and jumped into Jeep. And, and I really drove up anticipating him to be once again, you know, that they passed out in somebody's barn or met a pretty girl or whatever. And halfway up, I got a call that said it's no longer a, a search, but a recovery that all four of them had drowned. And, and my world changed completely at that moment. It's never been the same. So I go up there, you know, boats on the boat, you know, lights, boats, and they're recovering. And, and, you know, the kids were all huddled together crying and, and, and the parents, there were four sets of parents were, were in one corner. I just kind of stayed away and, and would talk to uh, the police. And, and finally they, I said, you know, they wanted me to identify a picture and they, Chris was the first one recovered. And I said, I want to see my boy. And they wouldn't let me. Wisconsin, they won't let you do that. Mm-hmm. So then we had to arrange for, uh, you know, then, so I had to get on the phone and talk to his mom, you know. My son wrote a term paper about the first or the worst, how her cry echoed through the house. And he knew that something seriously had happened, you know. And so, you know, that, that was that was the start, start of the beginning, you know, the beginning. How, of how the, long was it from when you knew he was missing till they actually found him? 45 minutes, you know, half hour, halfway up the drive, yeah. you know. So, you know, we arranged him in all the details and his, 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 uh, godfather, my pal Michael was with me that entire week for the arrangements for funerals and graveyards and tombstones and banquets and whatever goes into these things. And, and that's a, a funny part you asked me about that I'll tell you. So the, for the first three nights, I would just get home and you're, I mean, you're moving from, you know, very emotionally from, from the time I wake up. And at night I would take a, an Ambien to try to crash, which I don't recommend, but I don't, you know, <laughs> you know, I think I take one Ambien about every, you know, six, eight, nine months. But at the time I, and, and, and I, before I go to sleep, I got on my knees and I said, I would always thank God for my family and my recovery, for my sobriety. But I said to God in my prayer, I said, you know, but I'm PO to you. You know, we're not good, you and me. You took my kid. 
the third night, I lay in bed and I get a message, like a feedback, you know, in my head. But it said, I didn't take your son. Your son's self-will and recklessness caused him to come home early and I welcomed him home. And remember, I lost a son too. Hmm. At that point, I knew God wasn't this protagonist who moves us around like chess pieces. I, I knew that he was the guy keeping me up while I was putting these things together. And my relationship with God had gotten immensely close ever since then. And I know my son's with him. Thinking back and maybe not realizing, had you had other kind of conversations with God type of experiences? In my life, one. Now, once again, you know, getting sober, I believed was a, that, that, that was a gift from, from a loving universe, God, whatever you want to call it. So I'd pray, but, you know, I never heard back. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, one time I remember driving to a meeting and I was going down Glencoe and going to a meeting at a buddy's house. And there was a woman walking two dogs in the middle of the street when there's sidewalks on both sides of the street. And I remember thinking, what kind of jerk wagon? And, and I drive by, I just got a message that said, come on, man. You know, and basically I think it was a message that said, I've given you this gift and this is how you're going to treat people, you mm-hmm. know? So no, up until that time I had. And, and so, but, but I must have known because I knew where that came from, you know? And I think, they say, and it's only since then, since I started meditating, and, and I'm told that, you know, prayer is talking to God, and meditating is listening. So I was going to ask you about that. When you say you prayed, how often did you pray, and how did you pray? You know, I still do. I get mm-hmm. on my knees quickly. You know, I touch base, and what I do is I'm showing homage. I'm, I'm. It's kind of like saluting an officer. Mm-hmm. I'm on my knees acknowledging a source greater than me in the universe, which I think is a is a pretty good idea for everybody to do, you know. So I'm I do it on my knees. I say a quick you know prayer, then I then I, I jump. Is in. it like a rote prayer, like a, the same no. thing every day, or no. is it no. more whatever it is? It's okay. like thanks for this, thanks for that, help me with this. I'm still to this day not above asking for help, you know, mm-hmm. you know. And they say that God answers all your prayers, yes, no, and you're not ready yet, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you know, he and I are 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 are, are, are good. I know he didn't take my boy. And then after that day, yeah, had you meditated before that day? Uh, no, okay. I tried unsuccessfully. Okay, you know, typical ADD, right? It was like, like I see, a, hey, look, there goes a pretty bird, you know. So no, it was only after I started connecting with my son that I started meditating. And how did you start connecting? This is a great story. So maybe fifteen years before on a spiritual whim, I went and saw a medium. Now, I remember being in college and and, and I was doing a, a show called Guys and Dolls and I was this good looking gal and we were on a picnic and she started talking about her mom being a medium. Now, this was 1976 when that stuff was kind of really out there, right? And and she could tell that I wasn't making fun of her even though I was kind of a, a flip guy that I was really intrigued. So she told me all about Lily Dale and uh, and it turns out Lilydale was 30 minutes from where we were having this picnic. And I spent the night, I went there last uh, June and had an amazing experience in Lily, July, had an amazing experience in Lilydale. So I had gone seen this woman and she's actually, I'm going to see her next week. She's a medium in Surprise, Arizona now, but at the time she was like in Arlington Heights or somewhere out there. And I met with her and I 
I met with her and we were in a like a, a public library where she had a, a room that she would rent or they'd let her use. And it really wasn't working for me much, right? She was talking about this and that. And I remember I hadn't lost anybody. I had a brother that took his life at 29, but we were not amazingly close. And I didn't feel this devastating loss. And But, you know, we got through it and I'm kind of looking at my watch going, you know, let's let's move this along. I got to go. And she said, your dad's here. And I stopped and and she said, and, and your dad's showing me a caboose and he's saying railroad. At that point in time, I stopped. You know, my dad spent 40 years on the road. Every boy in the family worked on the railroad. My grandfather was a railroader. My favorite uncle Bill was a railroader. You know, my boy, my brothers all worked in railroads and through college. So we were a railroad family. Now, this was in 2000. This is before Google or, and my old man was just a common blue collar guy. There's, you look at him up today, you won't find anything about being on the railroad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. Now he didn't give me any of the secrets to the universe or the, you know, numbers for the, the, you know, the next lottery. You know, he, (laughs) he just told me that he was there. And now fast forward 16 years later, when I needed some answers, I, I thought back on this, this memory of connecting with somebody who had crossed over when Kristen died and when Kristen drowned. I don't like using the word died. So that was my, that was my next move. I reached out to that same medium who had since moved to Arizona, called her on the phone and, and we had some amazing, an amazing session. She told me things about the accident that nobody knew. She told me things about the accident I didn't know until I got the police report. So she was able to connect with him. She said, this is amazing that I can connect with somebody who crossed over so recently. How quick was it? A couple of days. Wow. Like the next day. And it turned, and she said, he stopped by your, he stopped by your room on the way. As a matter of fact, he said that at some point they had an option of turning back or not. Chris didn't make a decision and it was made for him, you know. And she said that that was him stopping. She said, look, when people, souls are crossing over, they go somewhere where they felt love, where they were happy. And he always felt that with you. That's why he stopped there. You know, and that was that weird feeling I couldn't shake. I don't know if Sherry told you, but... I had had a near-death experience mm-hmm. at, at 19. And exactly what you're describing is what I felt. And I I did have a choice up until a, a point where I would not have. Yeah. And that feeling of love and peace and just this release of pain, that, that was definitely something that you experience as you get closer and closer. I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm writing a second book and, and NDEs are going to be part of that because I had no exposure to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know. Remember, the great thing, and we'll talk about the book later, is is that this is, you know, I walked in completely open. You know, I didn't have a whole, I had one, one experience with a girl that I, you know, I had the hots for in, in 1976, whose mom was medium. That was it, right? I didn't have any preconceived feelings about what all this was. And then a brief drive by to know my dad was okay. When you talked to the medium a few days after Christopher's passing, what did that do for you? It gave me hope. Now you got to understand, I was a a mortgage broker for a dozen years. For 25 years, I was a car dealer. So I'm not a naive cat. You know what I mean? You're not going to put one over on me. You know, so if I wanted to figure out if this was real or if this is Memorex, and if this is all hokey BS, let's cross it off the list, right? Mm-hmm. But I wasn't ready to live in a world that was devoid of my son. 
So I wanted to exercise every option to find out if, if any of this was real. And if it was real, how do I connect? How do I get in? Mm-hmm. I want in. And when I met with her or when I talked to her on the phone, it was, this is real. I want in. Now, an interesting thing is I had a couple of, and like all great mediums, she said, look, we can't do this too often. You know, you can't, you know, A, he's got stuff to do. And B, you know, there's not all kinds of fresh information. So we don't want to talk to you every, I don't want to talk to you every week, you know. So I talked to her a few times. I went and saw a woman on his, that woman from 1976, Mm -hmm. who's a medium now too, in Wisconsin. And it was fine. It wasn't really honed in. And I think she's more of like a pet, you know, an animal. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, type and, and good gal though. So I saw her and then on his birthday or in, I'm sorry, in June, that was on his birthday. In June, I decided I'd read a, a book by Bob Olson, just a phenomenal book. And he was an investigator and decided to do the same thing. He came in kind of thinking it was all BS and wrote this amazing book about his experience. What's the name of that book? <sighs> I don't know, but Bob Olson, he, Bob Olson, he, he wrote one no, novel and one, which is the novel's fine, but mm-hmm. the, the other book is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I've got it on the phone so I can look it up. So what I didn't realize was that he, he, one of his website things is he rates mediums in different states. So I looked up Illinois and I looked up the Chicago area and I pull up this cat, Andrew Anderson in Hoffman Estates. So I make an appointment and I was, I was, I'm one of these guys who always has a back door, right? It was like, I'm not going to give money up front because if I want to cancel, I'm canceled, right? I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll commit to the time, but we'll see. So the day I got to go to see him, and, and what I wanted as much as this woman who was, uh, you know, Nancy Myers, her name in Surprise, Arizona, was amazing. She was on the phone, and I wanted to look into the eye of somebody looking at my son. So I, I figured, I looked up Zandrew. We had some high ratings. Some police departments had used him for stuff. So we, I went out there to meet with him, and he said, bring me a couple of pictures, Chris. Well, on the, before I got there, it was like at 1130. So, you know, you know, I'm, I'm up at six, 630 every morning. So I had some things to do. And one of the things I did was I went to his grave. Now, here's something kind of funny. I'll tell you a little bit about me, I think. We picked out his grave, my, my buddy Mike and I, his godfather, and we went to Sacred Heart. We had, you know, and, and the woman who recommended it was, was just this phenomenal full funeral director, Grace Martinson. And so we got there and the woman who was, you know, selling the graves wasn't happy about showing up on January of, you know, freezing cold and mm-hmm. snow all over. So they said, look, most of these graves are sold out. Back here is a great area. It's toward the back. So we had six. I said, Mike, I'm going to take three. You want three? He goes, yeah, we'll take all six. She goes, all right, which one do you want christened? And I said, well, you know, there's a little tree maybe at the end. Well, unbeknownst to me, they were burying next to somebody else's grave, kind of like this, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it was a guy, his wife, and then Chris. And then five openings. And I said, we couldn't tell because the, the snow. So when the snow melted and I could see, you know, they hadn't put the, you couldn't put the stone down until the weather broke. Mm-hmm. I'd go there and I'd say, man, it looks like he's their kid. You know, and that, that wasn't going to fly. It's my kid. So I called, refused to talk to her and, and tried to talk to her. She didn't even talk to her boss. Good guy. And I said, look, we got to move. Now you guys, she should have said, why don't you move him next to it? Why don't you do, you know, a little PR would have gone a long way. She didn't want to leave her warm Lexus. I said, but 
either way, it's going to happen. He called back and said, and I said, and you're going to be forever known in every story like this as the wonderful, generous people of Sacred Heart who benevolently fixed their problem and moved my son over or the, you know, or the greedy money sucking, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, imposing people who made me pay. So I paid half price. So we, we got to compromise. Ice. So I moved them. I moved them over one grape. And I was so grateful I did that. It was the best move. And I wrestled with that. You're still kind of foggy and goofy. And I wrestled with that. But I go to that grave all the time. And I'm not like some sad old man feeding pigeons. I go there to connect with my son. Even he does, I know he doesn't live there, but he, we meet there. So the ground, long story short, and once again, being Irish means you don't want to tell a short story. <laughs> long story short is the grave had loose dirt all around because they'd moved. Mm -hmm. So I planted shamrocks around it. I started shamrocks. And, and then I stopped and it, actually it's, it was, you know, kind of like this, but it was a leather bracelet that Chris had given me when he was about three or four at Disney World. It said pop on it or dad on it and had goofy. And I pulled that out of my jewelry box and put it on for the first time in, you know, 15 years. And wore that to see Andrew, planted the, sh and then boom, shot up there. And I, and, I, and I saw, walked in with Andrew in the same room I was in a couple hours ago. And he said, you know, Chris is here. God, he's beautiful. You know, he, you know, he's a gorgeous looking kid. He said, and he acknowledges you were planting something today. And he acknowledges you were in the bracelet he gave you. Wow. You know, <laughs> it'll be looking at me like now, right? I have as long, you know, yeah. and, and there's there's no way. Yeah. You know, my my wife didn't know I had, it was just kind of a whim. I, right. Amazon ordered shamrock seeds and planted them and they, they sprouted for a few years, you know? And, and, and that's when I said, wow, buckle up. This stuff is real, you know? And we talked about, you know, he wanted to see pictures and he said, you know, these pictures are all laughing and smiling. But there was another side and there was part of him that maybe didn't want to be here still, you know, you know, in some level. And we knew that he, he'd suffered from depression and, and that, that scared us, right? But, you know, that was the, that was the start of this really journey that led me through. I was meeting with Andrew this morning before I came here, yep. you know, that led me to today, led me to write a book, led me to talk to parents who've lost kids, you know. Was, was your wife ever interested in, in speaking with Christopher through mediums? Yes. Was she before this? No. When it was apparent, oh, it's funny you say that. Let's fast forward or fast backwards. In March, you know Meg, uh, Jen Weigel? Mm -hmm. All right, Jen's a guy. It's just a, a great gal, just a great gal. Sally, uh, her college friend, who's who's lovely gal, arranged for her to go see Rebecca Rosen in Denver, right? She, you know, we flew Sally mm -hmm. out to Denver. She set it up, which is really, really lovely. And- she was out there, she ran into Jen, you know, who runs a radio show. Mm -hmm. And I've been on her show a bunch of times. We've become friends. So Sally did. And, and this was pretty, this was like March. So he'd been gone a few months, but he had told her things like, you know, sending you peanut butter cups. And Sally would mail him peanut butter cups when he was in college or boarding school because that was his favorite. And she told him a few other things that only they knew. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she was interested in it. You know, and I was dying. I'm at, I'm home saying, you know, send me the, send me the link, send me the link, send me, you know, and then, so we both completely honed into this, you know, I think mine's at a different level only because I get these downloads from Chris that happen, you know, relatively often. Did, did this ability to be able to connect with them help the two of you with your own grief? Yes. Yes. I think... 
I think if, if either one of us didn't buy in, it would have been difficult to stay together, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Now, we grieve separately. You know, we're, we're independent people. And then we come back together. You know, I think the level, I think the number is 80% of people who lost kids get divorced. Mm-hmm. It's right? very it's high. high. Yeah. It's high. So I think since we were both on this path, a spiritual path, and what kept us together was we loved each other. We had this amazing, we both had this amazing love for this first child, you know, and we love our other two children amazingly much, you know. So, you know, we, we worked on that, but we grieved separately, then came back together as a unit to love each other, you know. And and so if she dismissed this t- path I was on as, as hokey BS, wouldn't have worked. And if I, in, you know, validated her beliefs, it wouldn't have worked. So she completely buys into it. I mean, uh, three o'clock in the morning, I'll get a download and the next day I'll say, Chris said to say this to you. And she goes, Oh, that's great. You know, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're taping, you know, if you're miking that, it sounds like crazy, you know. I'm going to ask you a kind of a multi-leveled question. Sure. Do you have any control over what you're calling downloading? What do you mean by downloading? And you said people see him. Do other people channel in the same way or is it more through they hear or great great question i mean they're the clairs right there's mm-hmm. clairvoyant which means you can see i don't have that gift i wish i did i'm hoping i get it but i'm greedy but i'll accept what i get there's clear audience which is what i get i get downloads which are voices that in my head that i then write and when uh, clairsentient, which I feel him and I smell him. It's funny. I can smell the sweat of a teenage boy and, and it's very comforting to me. You know, so those are the clairs and some have them all, you know, Andrew and sees um, and Sherry, I think sees and hears. So I would love to be able to see and I'm hoping and when I meditate, I envision him, but I don't get that. You know, I don't see him like I'm looking at you, mm-hmm. where others have that gift. You know, I'm grateful for what I got. I'm very auto, auto, auditory. I, I love listening to books. I download books. My book is is an audible, thank God. And the guy who reads it has the same inflections and nuances that I do. So I'm so grateful for that because I had no control over who was reading it. So it's not unusual or I'm not surprised that what I get is this, you know. So my thing is is that it started on his anniversary. The first year, three o'clock morning, I got up, went in my office at home, which was his bedroom. And I burned some sage. I lined chakras. I know I don't look like a guy that burns sage and lined chakras, but I do, man. And I, and I had pictures of him and candles and I started meditating. And on the desk was a legal pad and a pen and a pen that I had gotten at Andrews, one of his group, you know, and I, I, you know, I'm an old ball player, right? So if I'm on a hitting streak, I don't change anything. So I use the same big velocity pen I order in bulk. You know, I I go to Staples to get the same legal pad. You know, that's their name. Superstition pad. pad. I'm not going to screw with this. I don't know all the rules, you know what I mean? So, but I'm not going to break one, right? When you're on a hitting streak, you know, you don't wash your jersey. You know, that's just the way it goes. And so I got up and I, I all of a sudden, I just picked up a pen and started writing. I said, hey, Pop. You're not going to believe this. The colors are so vibrant. They're purple. They're blue. They're, it's amazing. The pinks are strong. The greens are strong green. You know, you're going to effing love this here. 
this is amazing. When that was happening, did you feel your hand? Nope. Okay. And there's a, and that's a great question because mm-hmm. I wrote my book about all of these and, and and meetings with mediums and all of that stuff. But I wrote this and the main thing was to get the messages that he was giving me. I called it automatic writing until I finished Bob Olson's book where he made reference to automatic writing. You go into a trance, you write in somebody else's handwriting, you're not aware of anything that you're writing. And I said, damn, that's not mine. So I looked up and mine's called either channel writing or spirit writing, where I'm aware of what I'm writing. Now, what I do is right after I'm done writing, I turn the light on and I edit it to make sure it's my handwriting is make sure I don't, because it's not my words, mm. right? So I just start writing and I just start, I, it happened at three o'clock this morning. A couple times a month, it'll happen when I can get my, my lazy butt out of, out of bed at 3 a.m. I'm like, what, what, you know, I'm just writing. And how I knew this wasn't me, because of course you question your own sanity. And, and how I knew this wasn't me. He said to me, he said, you got to let go of this thing with Scotty. I loved him and he loved me. It wasn't his fault. Scotty's the kid whose parents owned the lake house, rich kid, mm-hmm. right? Owned the lake house. And I was mad that there wasn't any supervision, but. Truth of the matter, what had nothing to do with Scotty? This could have happened in your basement. You know, Absolutely. I come home one time and there's a bunch of Will's hockey friends, you know, taking slap shots off the roof. Right. You know what I mean? It happens. It had, it, it wasn't anybody's fault, but you know. You had you to know, go, you, you go somewhere with that. You know, happen, Irish right? Alzheimer's, you forget everything but the grudges, right? You know? <laughs> so I, was, I had to hold on to something and he said, you got to let go of that, right? And I thought, I wasn't ready to let go of that. This wasn't my idea. But I thought, sure, Chris, for you, I'll let go of this. Besides, when am I ever going to see this kid again? Twelve hours later, on his anniversary, Chris Haley and I were going to meet at sunset to let some the Chinese lanterns go. I get a call at 3 o'clock from some of his college buddies. and say, hey, Mr. McHugh, we're at the grave. You want to swing by? Fifty kids. Uh-huh. You know, impromptu. And one of them was Scotty. Wow. Tears in his eyes. You know, and, and I just hugged him and said I loved him. Wasn't his fault. Please, if one thing anybody can understand is that, you know, it wasn't a decision that God made to pull him and it wasn't something that we did wrong. And 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 I was you know, I, I had to come to grips with that. Am I being punished for my passings? Mm-hmm. That's when when God came to me and said that I knew that that's not the kind of God, loving God that my son's with, you know. So I still, I get these messages and, and, and he said things like, you know, life should be easier. It should be like a canoe cutting through water. Do you think I'm ever going to use the analogy of right. a canoe for something good? Right. That's why I know it's not me. You know, he tells me things I'm not ready to deal with yet. And I, and I do. And I, do you think he's pushing you? Oh, for somewhere? sure. He would tell me, you know, you've got to finish this book. You need to help people. There's fathers that need to hear this. I went and saw Thomas John. The first thing Thomas John said is, wow, your Chris looks like, your son looks like Brad Pitt. He's gorgeous. He said, tells you, you got to finish your book. I was like, Jesus, I'm going as fast as I can. I'm getting harassed from the other side. But <laughs> yes, he pushes me. I'm a different guy than I was in January 2nd, 2016. Yeah. You know, and I care about different things. What are those different things? What did you care about before? Me? And and I will tell you this. You asked me about being a father. I thought I was far too selfish a guy to be a good dad, but I wasn't. You know, I love being a dad. I love being a dad with, with right, you know, with Chris. You know, so I care, and I care about other people who have had their hearts broken the way I have. 
And I need them to know that, like uh, Susan Giesman wrote a wonderful book called Still Right Here, you know, that your loved ones are still right here. You, you know, people ask me all the time in these interviews, you know, or, or somebody from the audience will say, you know, my sister died and I haven't heard from her. And I go, what have you done? What have you done to enhance the quality of her call? Remember in the days when you have the cell phone, you'd go up on somebody's, you know, porch <laughs> to get stand, a cell stand phone. on one leg, right? And, anything yeah. to get a cell connection, right? right. To, that's what this is. You know, there's a book I brought because I wanted to know more about, you know, how do you figure this stuff out? The Idiot's Guide to Communicating with Spirits. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know they made that book. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> and I've, you know, when I've read scores of books written by by people, you know who've had these revelations, who've had this exposure, most of them are so dry you can't get through, and so are some are so frilly you don't want to get through. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of uh, The Light the light Between Us was this fabulous book uh, by a woman who wrote Signs. I mean, there's some amazing, mine's actually, and I can say there's all humility because it was all given to me. How do you clear that channel or improve that channel, as you were you're okay. saying right there are set rules out there right and 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 you know if you want to increase your batting average you know you do things and 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 I do and I I do the I do the sage I sage my office right I have a oh, I love you know I have one of those you know wands that are made mm -hmm. of uh, you know it's crystal right whatever, yeah. whatever the name of it is you know I, I I align my chakras with and these are all things I've picked up from people like Andrew was handing out you know, the, you know, a chart with chakras and I align those. I got some great ideas from Jen Weigel. You know, I, how to meditate, breathing in, breathing out. I light a candle. I focus on the candle. I, I like, I put pictures of him around that I can focus on. I exhale. I call out his name. And in my case, it just says, Hey, pop, you know, where you been? You know, I've tried to reach you a couple of times, you know, you know. So he tries to reach you more than your open. To receive well, I'm old, man. So when I'm sleeping, <laughs> you know what I mean? Today I was, when it's really clear that he wants to talk, I am abruptly woken up at three o'clock. Abruptly. And it's like, well, gotta go. There's times I feel guilty that I think he wants to talk and I just can't get up. Right. But he'll make it up next time we talk. We're not going anywhere. You know, the cool thing about this is I've lived a life beyond my wildest dreams. And I really have. You know, we just came back from Sarasota where I got some more sand. You know, I mean, I was a wonderful family, wonderful bride, this kid that I adore. And I've got work to do. This book is really important to me and getting the message out, getting Christopher's message out. But if God tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, sport, today's the day, you know, time to go. I'm good because I got to be what I had on this side. Now I get to cross over and spend the next lap you know, around the track with the boy that I love so much. So how bad is that, right? My my favorite sister who's in the book, Marsha, who I just adored. I was with her last January, right before, February, before she passed away, before we crossed over. And Chris had promised me that he would be there the minute she crossed over. And Chris said to me, or she said to me, you know, Joey, you gave me the greatest gift. I read your book and I'm not afraid to die. Hmm. I then met a woman on my birthday, a, a, a wonderful medium out in, out in uh, Naperville, and, and her name is Jill. I was supposed to go out for an hour reading, two and a half hours. First thing she said, your sister Marsha's here. She said, thanks for the greatest gift you gave her. You yeah. Know, wow. You know, yeah. those, those are tag words that just yeah. say, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Pay attention. 
you know. So you didn't answer the question yet mm-hmm. about what was important to you before and what's important to you now. Prestige, accomplishments, and I and and I always wanted to be a good dad. I had a I had a pretty good uh, teacher, but I had no real regard to what was next. I believed in God, kind of like I said earlier. I believed in like I believe in the Secretary of the Interior, right? I believe he's there. I don't question his existence, but what do I need? You know, what does that have to do with anything? And I think now I know that we're all going somewhere, and and I I also know that my son's real proud of this, what I'm doing here, like what I did with Andrew Anderson today. When I send out books to people that, that need this, you know, your friend who lost a, a child, right? And there's a business card in there and that's there so people can call and say, listen, here's what's going on. What can I do? You know, where do I go? You know, Sherry's Jewel has done countless readings for free when people can't afford it, you know? And, and so, although I still have to make a living, and I still have to take care of my family. And I still like being thought of a pretty good at my profession. Priority is making my son proud and doing good works. I was given this gift of sobriety and you got to give it away to keep it, right? That's what they say in AA. And the same thing with this gift of, of connecting with my beautiful son. And I got to give that away to keep it. If I hoard this, it might not keep, I might not keep getting this, right? I might, it, the downloads might, you know, get limited. I don't know, but I'm not taking a chance. You know, so I think that I'm giving this message so that I can share it with others. You know, and, it, and it's, it's changed the course of my life. Is he the only spirit you communicate with? <sighs> Great question. Look, I don't want to be medium. Mm-hmm. And I walk in and, and who was, I was talking, to, I, Jen Weigel said, why don't you call in James Brand from Prague and ask him a question? So I did. And he said, wow. He said, you know, you're, you're highly in tune. You're, you got it. And I said, yeah, you know, thanks. And, and he said, you know, your son Christopher's sending music and he's talking about some things that just happened, right? Van Prague was amazing. 15 seconds, you know, so I think, could I possibly, because I don't want to be a medium. I don't want to see your grandfather, mm-hmm. you know, God bless, probably a great guy. I want to communicate with him, but I also have been able to mostly him, but I felt my sister around too, mm-hmm. you know, but it's usually him. You know, and it was funny. We went and saw Thomas John one time. I just, I just want to comment about that because when we sat down, you said, you know, I don't really like groups. I, don't like, I like talking to people one-on-one yeah. and like in your spirit world conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like my son. I like my yeah. sister. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. My brother, Jerry, in fact, we, we, there's a phenomenal woman from New York that the Jen had walked up to us. There was 120 people in Wilmette Theater walked up and she said, you know, your son, Christopher, and your name's Joe. I see. And she goes, you know, Christopher's got the name Joseph in his name, doesn't it? I go, yeah, it's his middle name. So, okay. And then there's another Joe here, a father. Who's that? I said, that's my dad. It was Joseph. Because there's another guy, Jerry. But it's not Gerald. It's a weird variety name of that variation. I said, that's my brother, Jerry, whose name was Jeremiah. I mean, this woman came wow. out of, you know, out of nowhere. Yeah. And just walking through reading people, mm-hmm. right? And and so my family tends to come through. Thomas John was funnier than heck. We were at we were at the Highland Park, the Infinity Center, and Sally and I were in the front row, and he was over on the other side, just nailing stuff. And he kept looking over, not to us, but on the other side. And he said, "You know, I finally need to bring this up. There's this spirit family that people just keep popping up." And he goes, to "Tell you the truth, they kind of scare me." So my wife elbowed me. 
She goes, you know, that's your family. I go, probably. <laughs> so she said, okay. He said, I got to stop. Who's got a son named, he said, who's got an older brother named Jerry? He goes, brother named Billy? I go, yeah. He goes, how about Bobby who took his life in the 70s? I said, yeah. He said, and then you have your son. He said, son, stepson. I said, no, that's my son. He said, Christopher, you know. Wow. Said, you know, I mean, he named The whole him. family. And then he, and then he said, <laughs> wait, wait, one more. He said, it's your sister, Pat. It was like an aunt to Chris because she was my oldest sister, right? She was his aunt. And he said, Chris is making bunny ears behind her head. And the kids <laughs> always picked on Pat and teased wow. her. That is you know, so, and then he looked at me and he said, who's Sally? And I pointed to my wife. And he goes, no, no, no. A hundred years old. Who's on the other side? Sally's grandmother, Sally Mickle, made it to a hundred years old. And, and wow. was wow. her her closest person, she was her Marsha, right? Her grandmother, who were very close. You can't, you know, there's none of that research isn't there. You can't connect Joe McQuillan to Sally Mickle, who died 15 years ago, who made it to 100. Doesn't work that way. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, it's giving me goosebumps because in past podcasts, we, we have talked about, in the end, the only thing that matters are relationships. Yeah. And our relationships are the most powerful and challenging things we will ever have to do in our entire lives. And when you're talking about what was important to you before yeah. and what is important to you now, it sounds very much like that is what you've connected with. It's right? relationships. And, and you know what? Without being too sappy and love, man, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there's three things in human life are important. Henry James, first is to be kind, second is to be kind, third is to be kind. Just be kind. Mm-hmm. Just be nice. Help somebody. If you read in the book, there's... You know, he talks about his girlfriend, you know, teenage girlfriend who was very close and we adore her. Talked about him when they were in Arizona pulling over because a car had broken down. And it was a, a family that didn't have any money and a bunch of kids in a van and he went and got gas. And they chatted. he said they talked like they were best friends. But that's, you know, that's the kindness my son showed. And so now when I'm driving down the street, and I've talked about that in the book too. And I want to fly by somebody pulled over because I got a tea time. He shames me into snapping, <laughs> you know, and it's like, ah, oh, damn. And I always feel so much better because, yeah. you know, God doesn't care if I have one more par, but I think he does care if I'm kind to his, his people. Yeah. What is your belief about why people are here on earth and what happens when we die? Well, I'm just going to go what he tells me. You know, and my son tells me that this is boot camp. And that his side is is a beach house in Maui. That's what, exactly what he told me. So we have to learn things here. And if we don't learn things here, we can or don't have to. But we'll come back. We don't learn enough, right? And and what happens when we die is we, you know, we we cross the room. It's like opening one door to another. You know, there's a great movie called uh, What Dreams May Come. Mm-hmm. Remember that movie? Yes. Yeah. yes. And Cooper Gooding Jr., who is the spirit guy, says to Robin Williams, he said the word, you know, body comes from bodic, meaning structure, meaning house. He said, you live in your house. You aren't your house. Your house falls down. You get up and you move out. And that really helped me understand what happens. This goes, but energy doesn't change. The spirit doesn't change. You know, we move to another dimension and we've evolved and we're in a much higher energy. So when you talk about what do I do to connect, it's not all voodoo. I do it to raise my energy. 
because he's got to lower his energy enough that we can meet in the middle. You know, he's, you know, so he slows down his energy on the other side. I raise mine. So his psychic slug of a dad can get to a plane that we can connect. And that's where the meditation comes from. That's when the chanting or whatever, the drums, whatever works for you. You know, this works for me. Does that mean I'm not constantly learning? Man, I just scratched the surface. You know, this is, this was a boots on the ground kind of, you know, connecting with my kid for mm-hmm. dummies, you know, and that's the first two years, you know, but my, the rest of my existence is going to be following the breadcrumbs that, that he's leaving for me. You know, Victor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And I was wondering if your sense of purpose and meaning in this world now is to pass this message along. 100% to help other people and other families that are suffering, right, with grief and loss, that there is hope, that there is more. And that's, that's purely what my mission is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know I, I can't change the suffering. I can't, you know, put food on people's plates in India. I can't do a whole lot of things. But I can, but I can be a vessel, a conduit for others who've lost something, that I can look at them and say, they're not gone, man. Now, let's be clear about something. It's a bad trade, right? I wish I was abysmally ignorant, chasing the almighty buck, taking my kid to ball games, you know, having pizza, hanging out, golfing, right? I wish I, I'd trade that in the day for this awareness that I've got, but I don't get to unring that bell. That's done, right? So, but what I can do is take this and let somebody else know that it's not the same, but it's not over. You know, you can connect with, do it, try it, do it with mediums. Then try to figure it out by yourself. I, I do both. So, you know, I'll, I'll go see a medium, you know, every now and then. And I love seeing new ones. And, and mediums are funny. They're like, they're like chefs. They're like, well, why would you go there? <laughs> and I go, cause you don't want to eat Italian every day. Sometimes yeah. I want Mexican. You know what I mean? Sometimes I want Greek food. And that's what I, I want other insights, yeah. you know? You know, the people I've been exposed to have been phenomenal, though. I, you know, chance of being disappointed are pretty low if, if you if you check out the right mm-hmm. people. And you go online. And like anything else, I'm a mortgage broker. I'm a really good mortgage broker. I'm really helpful to people, right? And all of my business is referral. But what's a better way for like a medium than somebody refers to? Somebody says, hey, you know, you know, this guy, Andrew Anderson said, you know, I can get because of your book and your, you know, I did this thing with Kevin Moore, this British filmmaker and, and, and it's on YouTube and it's called, they call us Chandler's and mine's the first episode. I was blessed that he came in to do that. He said, I'm getting calls from all over the world. I'm reading people on the phone all over the world because of what you've exposed. Mm-hmm. He said, you have no idea how many people you've touched, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, that's what it's about for me. So I think you have another message besides that. Okay. And, you know, even if you want to take a moment to think about this, or you probably already have, what would you say to other mothers and fathers who have lost a child and you allude to, if it was a suicide, there's another level of something. What message do you have for them in this world of how to move on or whatever, it is how to live with this loss. Great question. And, and I've actually mentioned the book that it said every parent has lost a kid rethinks every bad decision, every time they said no when they should have said yes, Simon said yes when they should have said no. I mean, guilt ridden. Chris smashed a car up a couple years before he crossed. And I went off on him. 
and you know he wasn't doing anything bad. He just wasn't paying attention, and 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 I regret that. You know, you know, it's simple. But if it's suicide, there's an ever, an extra level of undeserved responsibility that you impose on yourself. You know, that there is nothing that you could have to do to undo what was done. But the one thing I can tell you for a fact, I'm sure of this. I know this. I went from believing to knowing, right? I went from believing to knowing this is true, that they're okay now and they love you and, they, and they're given an opportunity. They're going to tell you and they're going to tell you specifics that only you know, like about the Reese Cups or whatever. That's just going to be the sign that said, this is between you and me, mom. You know, this is that, that they're good. My son doesn't suffer and he, he was suffered from addiction. He suffered from ADD where he gets from his old man. You know, he suffered from, he had a bad, he didn't have a, you know, he's a learning, you know, he had some learning issues. He had a little bit of a speech impediment, right? That he was, nobody else knew, but he was self-conscious about, right? All of that stuff's gone. All it is is pure, their pure self now, their best self. And they love you. And and they've let go of all of that. They've processed it. You know, as I said before we were talking, that for the first six months, every time we had a meeting, medium reading, Sally or I, he would come through and say, it was just a dumb mistake. It was just a dumb mistake. And he felt so terrible about imposing the grief on us. After that first eight months or whatever, he came to grips with it. He's made peace with that. And he never brought it up again. It's like, it's done. He's gone beyond that. You know, so whatever malady, I'll tell you this, this is a great, my sister Marcia died of cancer and it was, she was this dynamic, amazing gal. And so she tried treatment for a couple of years and it didn't help. So she finally, you know, she was in her, I was 76 when she, she finally, it's just, I'm not going to take any more treatment. You know, my quality of life is terrible. It's time. And Chris said, don't worry. The minute she crosses over, I'll be there. So not long after Marcia died. He came through to me and said, you know, we were here. And he named Bobby, Jerry, Billy, Pat. You know, we were here for when Marsha crossed over. And here's something that I know I didn't make up because I'm not that smart. He said, we greeted her and she was with us. Then she had to go somewhere because of the trauma that the cancer caused. Even though she left her body besides, her soul had some trauma. So she went somewhere. He said, think of it like a spa. That was what a nice way to put it, right? And he said, and when she came back and joined the group, she was younger than when I even remember her when I was a kid. Mm. This wasn't my imagination. I never thought of spa. I didn't think you went to a spa and healed. But doesn't that make sense? Mm -hmm. The trauma carried with her. Yeah. It was like having, you know, PTSD, right? Mm -hmm. And then, they, you know, somewhere... The divinity has a car wash that gets it all out. And you come back and join the group. Sounds like you, there's still some learning to do on the oh, other side. Constant. Too. Yeah. And there's jobs. You know, he works with young kids who've crossed over. There's jobs over there. There's levels. He said to me a couple of years back, he said, I'm being promoted to a new level. But don't worry, Pop. It's not going to change our communication. He said, it's similar to a phone call from Phoenix or L.A. doesn't matter. It's a little farther. It's just as clear. Mm -hmm. That's what he told me. Wow. <laughs> So, yeah, there are levels and there are learning, but it's like learning on a beach in Maui, man, as opposed to, you know, and he said, you know, think about football camp, Pop. He said, you know, you enjoyed it, but it was really hard work and it would hurt your body and you'd get beat up. And he said, you know, but you enjoyed the time. He said, that's what your world is. It's, it's the preparation, you know.
So tell those people, their, their, their kids who are gone, love them. And they'll see him again. And I, I promise you that. They'll see him again. So the reason we're sitting here today is because of Sherry. Sherry Jewell. Sherry Jewell. And what impact did she have in your journey? She was great. I got to tell you, Jen Weigel sends out this bottle shop, you know, meeting with Sherry Jewell. And Sally, Caroline, and I showed up. And we were all sitting on the couch. And I was the only guy, you know, which isn't uncommon, right? Guys are supposed to suck this up. And, uh, and I just don't buy into that, you know. And, and I got to say, there's a, a wonderful, another movie called Manchester by the Sea. And the woman said, my heart's broken. It's all, it'll always be broken. You know, if you, people who say things like, um, time heals all wounds, haven't lost a kid, right? It doesn't heal. Mm-hmm. You get, you acquire tools that help you function, but it's never going to go away. It'll, it'll always be there. I don't want it to go away. I like the connection, you know. The pain is very indicative of the amount of love that I have. So we went to this bottle shop and Sherry comes by and she's talking to her. You know how she is outgoing and fun. And she said, whoa. She pointed at me. She goes, and I was like the last guy in the door. So I was supposed to be the last one getting reading. She said, your son, Chris, is here. So I guess we're going now. <laughs> and we went up to the front and she talked about him, described fishing. She described baseball. She described all. She said, he's describing a hat that you wear. And I picked up the hat that was upside down on the table. And it was the description. You know, from then on, her and I have been friends. Sometimes she'll just call me and say, you know, Chris is here. I got to tell you, when my, I, was there in, I was there in Florida when my sister had, was, was, was gone. And oh, she, was, she was, hadn't gone yet. She was going. And he said, you know, you know just, just thinking about you and Chris here. He goes, yeah, your sister Marcia, she's going to be greeted by a little white dog. I said, no, she got a little white dog here on this side. She goes, no, 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 a little white dog. Then I remembered the exact same duplicate of that dog she'd had before and is waiting for her on the oh, other oh, side. Wow. You know, and I was yeah. trying to t- convince her she was wrong. <laughs> and they go, you know, they know what they know. You yeah. know, no. So Sherry and I have become very good pals and we've appeared together. We've, we, we've support each other. She's, you know, very gifted at, at, at this. And, and my son likes her. So he comes through. There's times when Jen Weichel makes me leave. Because Chris is so persistent that other people aren't going to get it. Because you gotta, it's like I got to go stand in the bathroom, you know, and hope that Chris doesn't show up. So he keeps um, taking the mic. Yeah, right? it's like it's me. So you know, and it's because you know I think he gets a kick out of who she is, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think that's like that. I think it's like great coaches. People say, "Have you brought you know frauds?" No, I haven't run any frauds. I've ran into some mediums that aren't great, but most of them are. You know, or getting better or working on their craft. It's like a chef. There's a, not, not every chef's a great chef. Mm-hmm. Not every field goal kicker is a great field goal kicker. Not the every therapist is a great therapist. That's not true, every therapist right. is a great therapist. You know, but when you get the one that meshes with you, you know, that one teacher that clicked, that one coach mm-hmm. that got you going back for a little more, that's Sherry. Yeah. And we are hosting Sherry. She is uh, ho- having a gallery on May 13th. I'll be there. Which we will, that would be awesome. I'll be there. And uh, we are going to be, be at Copper Fiddle. hosting at Copper Fiddle. In Lake Zarek. Yes. And you can get tickets on our Facebook page, uh, Couple Synergy. It will be an event there. And I'll send it out to my email group too. Yeah. Awesome. That would be really awesome. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Jo- 
Joe, is there any any final message you wanted to pass along to our listeners out there? You know, maybe something yeah. that you've learned from Chris defer or just you've learned in general. Just in general. You know, we've all lost people that we love, you know, and and by the way, we're all going, right? I mean, buckle up. We're all going. You know, you may as well accept that right now. And But where we're going is surrounded by people we've already lost who we love dearly. But those people are still right here. You know, work on it. Ask questions. Call me. You know, give me a call. I don't know if you can post my email or my cell phone. We Dude, can do that. Yeah. You got a question, okay. you want to know something, you need a book, give me a call, right? And the, the bottom line is you just got to try to get your arms around that the ones that you lost are still around you. You just got to work on the communication on your end. They've already got it on theirs, right? They're waiting for you to open the door. Mm. Just work at it. That is awesome. Awesome message. Joe, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Been absolutely today. my pleasure. And, you know, for those of out there that want to pick up his book, as he said, you know, if you want to email him, he will definitely contact you directly. You can also get his book on Amazon as well. And the book is called My Search for Christopher on the Other Side. It's in print, Kindle and Audible. Awesome. Get all three. Get, get all the trifecta. Three. Get the trifecta. <laughs> And it's Joe McQuillan, just for all of you that might be searching for the book. You know, people have been sharing their stories since the beginning of time mm. to grow and bond and heal. We hope that by you sharing your story, it's enriched your life and yes. the life of our listeners. I guarantee it has for me. We want to wholeheartedly thank all of our listeners for joining us today and for joining us on Couples Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and families have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couples Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know anyone that can benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. <laughs>